let's not forget how in- how intense people make it in their mind. You know, people are willing to almost kill themselves for Western states. It's, there really isn't anything comparable to that. Maybe maybe UTMB is. I don't know, but it's like other races just aren't that important. Yeah. So you know, people people put too much too much importance for their you know. There's only so much the body can take. I, that's my point. And you know, and we can all we can all push past the limit. It's imp- you know, it's important. I mean, most of the people out there in the world, they don't come anywhere near their limit. But ultra runners are really different, you know. It's like I pushed actually past my limit, you know. Welcome to Training for Ultra, the podcast. Welcome to episode 48 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name is Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra, and I'm joined here by Michelle Barton, Cheetah Mermaid. How you doing? Hey, Rob. An exciting week in our sport, huh? Yeah, seriously. I I mean, this is the week if you're an ultra runner. Like, Western States, just a few days out. I think it's, what, two days out? Two and a half? Yeah, Exactly. I mean, I'm I'm excited. I've I've been checking daily on the Western States website and watching for for the wait list. You know who who's next on the wait list? Carno got in. Yeah, that's super exciting because he hasn't run states in quite a while. Yeah, I, I think mean, since what 2009 or something. I I should know that off the top of my head because he's been. You know, a huge, huge inspiration behind my own personal running. So, I'm excited. I'm excited yeah. for him. It'll be cool. He'll he'll crush it out there. And so, this episode, let's give the listeners some background. I invited Michelle on, and uh, her dad, Doug Malwicky. If if you don't recall him, he is in a a previous episode, ultra running at age 79, which is amazing. Doug is good friends with. Who, Michelle? With Gordy, the winged god Ainsley, who and started Western States. Yeah, let's let's hear your kind of your interpretation how Gordy started Western States. Well, it was sort of by mishap. He was uh, planning to do the Tevis Cup, the ride, you know, with the horse a hundred miles, and his horse came up lame a week or so before the race so he just had an idea huh i wonder if i can just do this on foot at the same time uh with the horse race and he did and he was the first one to accomplish that on foot and then the western states 100 miler was born it's that pretty amazing story it was, yeah it was 1973 i think and then they felt so bad about the the lame horse that the idea came up what in 1974 is that right Right. I'm, I might be off by year, but yeah, it takes a, a unique, special individual to even think that logic through, because it hadn't really been done before, had it? Uh, not to my knowledge, no. I mean, there's been there had been some hike, I mean, like some hiking through the area. I think some like marine, like ex marines had had hiked some of the trail and had mm-hmm. 
Is that correct? Like it took them two days to hike the the Western States course, essentially the Tevis. I don't know when that was, but yeah, I'm sure it took, took a few days for sure. And Gordy said that, uh, the places that he stashed his gluconade or whatever drink that was back in the (laughs) seventies is actually where they have the aid stations now. So it all kind of made sense. Oh, that's cool. I, I didn't know that. And, and so, I mean, Gordy Ainsley, yeah, he, he's opinionated. He doesn't really, it it seems like he doesn't care what anyone else thinks. He'll just tell you what he's, his opinion is. And I, I mean, I respect that and he he can be controversial at times, but, um, Oh yeah. And and we'll get a, a flavor of that. But I mean, just for the listener's background, Doug's audio wasn't working perfectly. So we just kept recording and, and you'll hear a lot of Gordy and some really cool stories about Western States and, you know, his background on running. And so, right. um, let's shift gears really quick. Uh, so I, I'm going to thank the sponsors, Hammer Nutrition, Sufferfest Beer and Bigger Than the Trail. Uh, you know, if you haven't tried Hammer Nutrition, feel free to use my promo code 252888 and you'll save 15% on your first order. And then Sufferfest Beer and Bigger Than the Trail have been big supporters. So I have to throw that in real quick. Um, so I ran Leadville, Leadville Marathon, just this last weekend. And uh, it was, it was yeah. a really cool experience. So I have to fill a few people in on that one. Have you been out to Leadville? I actually took my daughter out there. That was her first 10K when she was eight years old. And <laughs> no uh, I I was actually there for Trans Rockies and the Leadville 100. Um, that was in, yeah, 2008. So, man, living at sea level and going there to race is, like, so brutal. <laughs> I mean, so it, you hear you about it, you hear about it, and you're like, oh, yeah, 10,200 feet where, like, the start line is. Like, oh, I can handle it. And then yeah. you're out of breath at the start line. And yeah, like, your heart rate is, like, skyrocketing. Your heart rate throughout the whole race is elevated. So it's just hard to explain unless you're there doing it. Um, but my race, like, mile one or two, I was like, okay, like, I need to slow down. And I look at my watch. I'm doing, like, ten and a half minute miles, like, on – like a smoother, like, you know, like normal terrain. flat kind of thing? Yeah. I, I mean, the whole, like, start is just climb, climb, climb. Like, pretty much nonstop. I think there's 6,000 feet of gain, and it's all in the first half of the race. And so okay. you'd think you can just bomb down the second half, but uh, it's so technical that there's only, like, one single track that goes up to Mosquito Pass is where like the very top so like the half marathon mark is almost like at exact top of the the mountain which is right. thir- 13,200 feet let's say um, so you make it up there but then you can't bomb down because there are I would say they're like tennis ball size rocks all over the place so these are like ankle mm. crushers and you have everyone you know the maybe first time half marathoners are still working their way up so you have half marathoners coming down flying you have some of the quickest marathoners coming down so the single path is like you can hardly use it and so 
I mean, the best I could do is like a 10 minute mile down. And this is like a 600 foot decline. Um, and then you think it's all over and right. they, they have this like last final climb. That's like 700 feet again. Oh, it was, it's not an easy marathon. It's a really good challenge. And I understand now why they make a specific sticker for it because you feel like you really accomplished a marathon when you come through the finish line. And what did you like most about it? I got emotional. Like I was three miles towards the finish. I knew like this is in the bag and I kept thinking like, man, just two years ago I did my first marathon in Athens, Ohio, like sea level, super easy marathon. It's like a Boston qualifier. Like a lot of people do it just, because it's so flat and easy and I was thinking like man I did this in like five hours and 21 minutes or whatever it was like I went out just to finish a marathon and uh-huh. I was like looking at my watch and I was like man I'm like this is pretty darn close at the same time and this has to be one of the top 10 hardest marathons in the world like I've really come a long ways and then started thinking about my dad and it was Father's Day was Sunday, and this was Saturday, oh, yeah. and and so like the last two miles, I I kicked it up, and you know it had like a steady decline, and I I kicked it up to like an eight forty five, and then <clears throat> my my last mile in was a seven forty five, and this is at there you go at ten yeah this is at ten thousand two hundred feet, so I was just like my mind had just kind of gone beyond running, and I was just like. I mean, like in the zone, I was in the the zone. I wasn't crying, but I was like right on the edge. So yeah, it meant a lot finishing. And, uh, yeah, it was just one of those moments that you just internalize and you're just thankful for it. And yeah, I'm really excited to go back here like two weeks from now. Yeah. It sounds like it was better than expected. I knew I mean, those kind of races are, it sounds so memorable. Yeah. It's weird. Cause I, I went through the finish line and I saw Natalie and Adam two two friends from never summer hundred K and, uh, mm-hmm. they're like, you beat Lance Armstrong, like blah, blah, blah. Like, that's so awesome. I was like, Lance Armstrong's running this. Like I had no idea. And Lance he, Armstrong. Yeah. He came in. He came in uh, like 11 minutes later, 10, 10 or 11 minutes later, and oh. I was like, I was like, uh, wow, like this is crazy. So I'll be like an old okay. codger. I'll be an old codger telling like my grandchildren that <laughs> that I beat Lance Armstrong, and by That's then crazy. it will by by then it will be I I was in the Tour de France, and <laughs> it will totally morph into something more than it was. But he's doing Leadman, I think. I I don't know okay. and. Um, you know, he's been through a lot, so it's, it's cool that he's out there kind of flying under the radar and doing his thing. So I, you need to wear the yellow Jersey at your next race. You beat him. Oh gosh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Silver King. He's, I think he's probably doing the bike 50 miles. So I would be annihilated. I would be annihilated, but yeah, it was, it was a really cool experience. And, uh, I look forward to heading back to do the 50-mile bike followed by the 50-mile run because... Absolutely. Because why not? So how are you feeling going into your upcoming race? You have, what, Sinister 7 coming up here? How many weeks away is that? Yeah. 
it's pretty soon. It's July seventh. It's like two so or three weeks. It's, it's like, yeah, that's just gonna come so quick. So I'm just happy. Number one, I am not injured. You know, like how that, you kind of emphasize that, and that's the most important for you. So I've is, been yeah. trying to be smarter and not just run myself into the ground. So I'm still swimming a lot. I'm biking a lot. I'm doing long runs on the weekends on Baldy. Just not doing too much. So I've that's done a awesome. couple races. Let's 50k and trail marathon but not not anything crazy because i just want to go into it 100 percent healthy like that's you. so good to hear i mean because you're <laughs> like, you're yeah. stacking these these big races like you can't go all out in a, a i mean the injury rate has to be substantially high like in the major part of your training block and i've watched your history obviously for yeah. several years so i know i know how excited yeah. you get before a race and you're yeah. You missed out on Sinister Seven last year, so I think And the year before. I yeah, I going I really in up. going going like, in under trained by five percent in healthy yeah. is gonna be so much better of an experience than overtrained by one percent and limping and dropping, you know, like So listeners rewind that little sentence and please like take it to heart because <laughs> it's so true. I've learned over like 15 years of nonsense. <laughs> you know, I could have probably prevented this, but uh, now I, I'm finally learning. That's yeah. funny. I mean, uh, and then what? What else is going on with in within your world? And I want to hear your Western states thoughts and and going into sure. that. Um, yeah, just training's going great. I feel good. Um, my daughter graduated high school, so that was a big thing. And just kind of keep it going until Sinister 7 and just want to uh, finish a little faster, if possible, than I did last time on that course. So that was uh, four years ago I ran it. So it was really, really hard for me. Like, I would put it up along there with Badwater, like, no joke. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to segue with Elisa McDonald. Oh, yeah. She crushed the heck out of that race. And... Well, she won it outright, and there was like 14% finishing rate at Sinister last year. And it was incredibly hot. Because of the heat. And so, in, in what I've studied, which isn't much, but there are people that have a natural knack for heat and heat, like, adaption. And mm. it seems like she might be one of those rare breeds where Western states, like, it it will right. hit it will hit 105 on Saturday, like for it, sure in the canyons. It, it yeah. always does. It'll be baking. And right. and so someone like that who seems to have a knack for it. I mean, she crushed Black Canyon, 100k, and I have my eye on her. She's like kind of the the dark horse uh, female pick for me personally, and I think right, uh, for Court, sure. Courtney D is uh like i've kind of made it pretty pretty obvious is sort of my pick as if she just holds it together and has a normal day and doesn't like totally botch mm -hmm. nutrition and i think uh mount fuji was a wake-up call they kind of lit a fire under her so she's i think this is her race uh and i just you know i've followed her for several years now and um, she's kind of my top pick. I don't know. What do you think in terms of the female field? I'm with you. Like, Courtney, I love her. 
I just love her. So I would love to see her win. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, of course, there's, like, other chicks, you know, Lucy and, I mean, all, all the other girls that have, like, won skates before, like Casey and Stephanie, it's cool to see them back and stuff. But I don't think it's – I think, you know, Courtney's going to be stronger than them. I think like she, she just she's learned how to suffer. I mean, winning Moab two forty like, right? You don't and do she that. She doesn't give herself any shortcuts. You know, in that previous interview. Yeah. Like. Yeah. She's no excuses. Super tough. Like, if she just shows up and has a normal day, this is, this is her race. And, I mean, my only other thought is this is Western state, so anything can happen. Like, if I've learned anything trying to predict, like I don't even do the predictions anymore on I run right. far because I'm like I mean it, it could be anyone's day like it, and that's just part of running too is you can have a really good day out of the out of the blue you can have a really bad day out of the blue and um I think definitely Cor- Courtney's proven herself as very consistent at the long long distance races so um what are you right. thinking in terms of the men the men's field well, I love Mario Mendoza, and I mean, I know uh, we talk about, you know, that he maybe isn't super experienced with the 100 mile, but I would love to see him at least in top three. And of course, you got the Coconino Cowboys. I think those dudes are going to do pretty great in the heat. And uh, I just, I don't know about Walmsley. Like, I would love to see him finish super strong and finish. And, uh, I mean, all these guys with such fast wheels, Tim Frerich, just Cody Reed. I mean, just just never really know. And then Francois from uh, France, I think he could have potentially a little bit of problem with that heat. I just saw on his Instagram yesterday, like, they were definitely feeling it on that 20K training run. But we'll see. I agree. Like, he'll, he'll be agree. up there. But that heat is definitely a factor. Yeah, and so, I mean... The, the Cowboys, the Coconino Cowboys, have um, made it a point to show up. I mean, I was sad to hear Jared Hazen yeah. not being able to make the race. And then uh, I know. Camille also, I forgot to even mention that, you know, her and Kat not being there. Definitely, yeah. you know, it's a bummer because those are two incredibly nice people that uh, are super elites. And so I think, I think this is Jim Wamsley's year. I know other mm. people have, you know, other opinions on that, but I truly think uh, I've kind of behind the scenes, you know, heard what he's doing and and seen what he's up to. And I think he's he's maturing as an ultra runner, a hundred mile ultra runner. And right. I think his UTMB finish, yeah, you know, definitely. it wasn't, wasn't a great race, but he finished and he finished yep. top five, which is amazing. And, I I think it's Jim Wamsley's year. I could be totally wrong, but I think it's going to be um I think it's going to be his race and I think he's going to gain comfort from having all those fellow Coconino Cowboys there and right. that's not to discount Cody Reed, Tim Frerichs, Eric Sensman. Those guys are super yeah. talented. They have less experience right. behind beyond the 100k mark. So True. In terms of the top ten, I think they can gut it out, and I think, I think you could. There's potential to see three of the Coconino Cowboys in the top ten. 
Oh, for sure. For sure. No I, doubt. I think there's a good possibility. I think Mario could definitely be in the top 10 if he runs a smart race beyond the 100K mark and holds back. Yeah. Um, and I think, I'm trying to think of some other guys. I mean, some of the, the more experienced well, there's guys. Like, there's Jeff Browning. There's Jesse Haynes. You know, Meltzer's running like this. More experienced dudes that can Charmin. come from behind. Or, yeah, definitely. Yes. All those guys are going to be in contention 100%. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be fun. Yeah. And, and they have, like, the patience and the knowledge. Like, I would love to see Walmsley come back, you know, third time's a charm and just freaking nail it. I just hope he he can, like, have that kind of patience and uh, not just go crazy about just getting the course record. I mean, I know he's capable and everything, but it would be nice to finally have, you know, see him have his day there after all of this. I, I truly I I feel like this year is his year. I don't know why, and I you do. Yeah, yeah, I really do. The way he's training, smart. He's mm-hmm. like, uh, the he's increased his biking, which I think takes a lot of discipline for <laughs> for one of the best Good runners man. for one of the best yeah. runners in the world to actually pick up a bike. Is like okay, he's he's taking this cross training serious, and he looks leaner and meaner than I've ever seen him. So, if mm-hmm. I had to pick. If I had to pick one, I think Jim Walmsley, but yeah, Francois Dehane is going to, it would be so cool to have him and Jim just du- I know. duking it out for a boat at the river crossing. <laughs> like, well, Walmsley going <laughs> to swim across. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that will be another good indicator if he's wising up, if he gets in the boat or if he tries to swim. <laughs> I know. He almost got swept away last year. Um but well, yeah, Gordy I mean, piggybacked me across the river. Across the mile eighty? Oh my yeah, gosh. He piggybacked Jeez. me. And then he had a, a hallucination. <laughs> and he's like, Michelle, look over in that bush. It's a paper mache dragon. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's not. Let's go. Take a goo. Take a coke. Let's go. <laughs> but um, time. I'm trying to think. I mean there's there's some other guys within the the previous top 10 uh that you know will will show up and i think we'll definitely will be seeing their updates and i think i mean my only other thought is having just run with michael owen and watched him from the midwest and and he was the first guy i reached out to ever to become a coach of mine uh okay first few months of when i started actually and he runs at athens ohio thunder bunny 50k which is my first ultra uh, yeah, I think he probably influenced that decision a lot. But him showing up after seven years of waiting, I can't wait to just kind of root for him. And he has a lot of hundred mile experience, so I wouldn't underestimate him. You know, if he has a good day, don't be surprised yeah. if he's in the uh, top ten. So yeah, I'll be watching. It's gonna be cool. Yeah, it'll be awesome. Well, thank you for. For joining me, Michelle, and uh, I'm I'm excited to share this episode. We taped it a while back, and uh, you know, hopefully the audio yeah, so actually, sounds good for everyone. I hope so too. The first time I met Gordy was actually the first time I met Dean Carnazzi's. It was in 2004, the finish line of Western States. So it just brings back good memories. He yeah. ran it that year, and he had a huge plate of food at the finish line, and I came up to him and just introduced myself and we've been really close friends ever since 
and uh, him and my dad have become friends and run Trans Rockies together, and he's like a family friend. He said, I can uh, adopt him for my second father anytime. <laughs> I, Great I, guy. I hope to get an update or two on Gordy, too. I think that'll be really cool. And who knows? Dean has learned how to suffer better than anyone. So if it's a stupid hot day. Carno. Carno, Carno in the top ten would be ridiculous. So that'd, oh, man. That'd make headlines. But Michelle, thanks for joining me, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll touch base here soon. And if the listener doesn't hear about Sinister Seven, I mean, we'll we'll have to do an update on that too. So take care, and thanks sure, for joining me. Look. Thank you, and good luck at Silver King too. Thank you. See ya. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but then afterwards you threw up. No, <laughs> I never threw. <laughs> Okay, then you hallucinated about a paper mache dragon. That's what I, I remember. I've only thrown up once, and that was on the uh, Wasatch, <laughs> Wasatch 100, after the ski lodge, heading up okay. the Catherine's Pass. That's the only time I've ever thrown up. Wow, only one time. That's oh, amazing. my gosh. Well, and that was a extenuating circumstances. It was just because I got a high-altitude cough, and I started coughing harder and harder, and then finally I threw up, you know. Yeah. I was. I, I wasn't nauseous at all. If I just suppressed my cough, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah, I don't throw. Sometimes my stomach stalls, and that's about it. You know, and that just requires that just requires uh, well, chiropractic adjusting or some pressure work on my, you know, my sphincters. And, <laughs> and you always like to drink beer, like at Western States, from like mile eighty on or something. Uh, mile ninety. Ninety, like at Roby Point. Uh, no, no, I, I'd like to get it on Highway 49. Oh, that's, that's what I meant, yeah. When when, when did that tradition start? Well, it, you know, I always wanted to, but the, the one time, the one time, the one time I did it, I did it at Highway, well, I did, I, I did it at Browns Ravine, which is 10 miles out, and then when I got to Highway 49 and asked for a beer, some volunteer told me that I'd be disqualified if I had a beer. Oh my gosh! So I did. I got all pissed off, and I didn't have a beer, and I needed a beer, and so that was the time I finished an hour overtime. I it took me it took me two hours to go two point seven miles. But that's when I paced you. I know. Yeah. That was the year they had that film, like JB Benham made the film, like Unbreakable. Well, you uh, you paced so twice. You yeah. paced twice, Michelle. One time I finished in plenty of time. Right. I think, I think, but anyway. Okay. Uh, it all, it all, it all kind of, uh, all it all kind of gets confused. What, Gordy? What's your your favorite Western states that you ever ran? I know that's well, kind of a goofy question, but I mean, you've run it a few times. You basically well, invented it. So the best, the best one was two thousand one. That was uh, that was the year that I was. Uh, I was I was like I came into Browns Ravine, and I I did, you know I did my my mathematics. You now realize mathematics at ninety miles is you know a risky business at best. <laughs> but I did I did the math, and I said, oh, I've got ten minutes to spare. I'll use five of them here. And so I oh. I hung out there for five minutes, and then I took off down to the bottom, and I'm running along the river. With my uh, with my pacer Ralph, that Ralph's the guy who's paced me more than anyone else, Ralph Arginal. and 
So I'm running along the river and I decided, well, I better check my math. So I reviewed my math and I realized that when I came into Brown's Ravine, I was right on the wire. And now it's five minutes in the hole. And so I kind of, by that time, I was sort of at the bottom of the hill going up to, to the uh, Highway 49 checkpoint. And I took off like a scalded cat. I didn't even say anything to poor Ralph. I didn't even explain anything. I just took off. And I made up that five minutes on that hill somehow. Just, you know, desperation. Well, this was, it would be, this was going to be my 10th 24-hour finish. This was like really, Ooh. yeah, really important because I didn't know if I could ever do it again, you know, because I'm getting yeah. old. So, you know, I, I took off like a scalded cat and I got up there. Ralph, actually, I, I sort of dropped him and he came in while I was, while I was, you know, gassing up a little bit. And then I took off up over the hill and, and he was falling behind and he dropped his light. And he screamed, and, you know, so I went back to him, you know, and I'm thinking, shit, I don't have time for this. Oh, no! So I went back to him, and I, and I said, Ralph, uh, I'm going to go on without you. He says, no, man, no, I want to go all the way with you. And I thought, oh, God, to be to have my 24-hour finish ruined by a pacer loyalty. That would be something. <laughs> so so I, I said, look, my bottle's empty. It wasn't. I lied to him. It was like a third full. And I said, I need that full bottle because I, I knew I'd need it to get into Auburn without dehydrating. So he gave me the full bottle and I said, look, Ralph, I'm going to go ahead. You just go at a safe pace, okay? And so I just took off down the hill. Well, on the way down the hill, I was going to make up a couple minutes. I figured I'd get two minutes in the, in the bank. And so I was like, I don't know. Two-thirds of the way down the hill, I got hit with a case of diarrhea. So I pulled off to the side of the trail and dug a little hole and got some herbal toilet paper ready. And, you know, and I did my thing and I, you know, <laughs> cleaned myself up with the herbal toilet paper and I pulled up my shorts. And, well, the result of that was when I got into, uh, got into No Hands Bridge, aid station, I was right on the wire again. I, I had 45 minutes to do it. And... I just said, oh boy, because I knew I wasn't in the best shape. I've done it in 42, but I wasn't in that good shape. So I figured it was going to take me almost exactly 45. So I took off and I got about halfway up the, the, uh, the old railroad bed and I got hit with another case of diarrhea. And I thought, well, now what am I going to do? You know, I don't have time for this. Right. You know? So the thought was, well, okay, I can hold it in. It'll mess me up. You know, it'll slow me down. I can I can let it run down my leg. Yeah. And then I got this this genius thought. I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. What would a dog do? The dog would just pull over, you know, two feet off the trail, if anything, <laughs> just poop and go. And I thought, without wiping? And then I thought, well, dogs don't seem to die from that. <laughs> so so I thought, I guess that's what I'll do. Nobody will know that I didn't wipe. <laughs> so, anyway, I just pulled over the side of the trailer and pooped. And I'll tell you the hardest thing, you know, all my life, I've always wiped before pulling up my pants. It's like it was so hard to do. It's like against all the toilet training I've ever had for all those years. <laughs> so, anyway, I, you know, but I did it. And I, and I, got, I got into uh, Roby Point, and the guy told me, You've got 15 minutes left. And I thought, I shouldn't have 15 minutes. And 
my wife, she was there, and she gave me this agonized look, but she was like stone silent. And I go, God, that's weird. Anyway, I started up the hill, and I thought, you know, I better put this thing away. I better, I better not, I, you know, just not leave anything to doubt. And I just took off everything and dropped everything. And I left it in a pile with my light on, and I took off up that Roby Point Hill as fast as I could. I got over the top, and I was just cruising down on that flat area. Uh, and I, I passed this guy who was carrying a D-cell flashlight, looked like a three or four cell. He had a large 24-ounce water bottle in the other hand, and he had two 24-ounce water bottles in his, in his fanny pack. And I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, boy, that doesn't look very smart to me. And so he looked over at me as I went by him, you know, running as fast as I could, basically. And he said, do you think we'll make it? I said, I think so. Looking back, I wish I'd said, you know, drop everything and run for your life. <laughs> and I came down, I came down the, the Linden Street Hill. It's the last, down, it's pretty steep downhill. And my friend Sam lives there. And he said, he was actually waiting for me, but he said, I knew that couldn't be you because you can't run that fast. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he told me later. He didn't, he didn't come out because he said, you know, that guy was running too fast to be Gordy. So anyway, I got, I got into the, I hit the stadium, you know, and, and the lady said, you've got a minute and a half. And I said, oh my God, you know, I have to run half of this at, at the same pace that I used to run you know, like the, the middle lap of the two mile in high school, you know, one of the really slow, like the sixth lap or seventh lap, sixth lap probably. And, and I thought, wow. So I took off and I'm running pretty fast. And anyway, I came around, came around the corner and, you know, and I, I made it and I, <laughs> Tony Rossman was at the finish line and he turned me around to look at the clock and it was like, as soon as I crossed, there was like 17 seconds left, and he said, you didn't have to run that fast, Gordy. Look, you had lots of time. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was my best. That was my best. You know, I, I, had to, I, had to, I had to get over, I had to overcome all of my toilet training. I had to lie to my pacer. <laughs> it was amazing. What a thing. What a thing. You did it. Yeah, I did it. With 17 seconds to spare. Got that silver... Silver right. buckle, yeah, sub yeah, twenty four, yeah, by 16, 16 or seventeen seconds. That's well, phenomenal. Probably eighteen seconds. Yeah, so, I know this is a, a bizarre question, but I mean, wiping would probably have taken sixteen seconds. So <laughs> <laughs> he just didn't know, did he? <laughs> yeah, wiping, and, and imagine if I, you know, usually I bury my poop when I'm out there. I mean, yeah, I would have, I would have finished like two minutes over. Yeah, for sure. Two minutes over. Yeah, it would have been tragic. Yeah, it was, that was it. It's like, you know, or or if I, you know, maybe if I just kept running when Ralph was falling down and screaming and his lights stopped and light, you know, but that wasn't that wasn't a nice thing to do. So I, <laughs> I, I lost a lot of, you know, I actually went back about, you know, over fifty yards to to talk to Ralph. Yeah, that was that was an amazing experience. I got a question for Rob. 
Does every ultra runner who listens to your podcast know the complete history, how Gordy inadvertently started 100-mile racing in the world, trail racing? You, you know, my guess is no. I mean, uh-huh. it's an iconic, story iconic story, and I think Solomon put out a video that's just phenomenal, and it, it recaps it. But I, I'd love to hear more about it, um, if Gordy doesn't mind. Well, Solomon, Solomon didn't hear the whole story. <laughs> uh, he, they got the expurgated version. I don't know if I told him the whole story, but the, the, it all started basically in, in 1972. Uh, I, I had in 71 and 72, I finished the 100 mile ride on my horse, Rebel, who was just durable. He was like a tank, you know, and I need that because I weigh so much. I weigh over 200 pounds. So, anyway, um, I guess it was in um, late May. I I was at the top looking at down the, my driveway at, to my horse pasture, and there was Rebel, and there was a a girl and a guy talking to him, you know, and visiting him. And I, you know, of course he's my horse, you know, and so I walked down there to make sure everything was okay. And I remember looking at this girl and thinking, boy, she sure is cute, but too bad she's only about sixteen. So anyway. Uh, a while, you know, I got to know him, and, you know, it turns out that she's the sister of this couple that just lives up the road. And so, uh, you know, a while later, she invited me to her birthday party, and I said, oh, how old are you going to be? She says, 21. And I went, you know, it's like my whole mind changed, you know. <laughs> Wait, but how old were you, Gordy? Oh, I was like, uh, well, it's the 19th, uh, I was 24. I took her down to the, the local lake, and anyway, we became boyfriend-girlfriend. Well, she was always hassling me. Well, I should say hassling me. She, she wanted to get married and have kids. I mean, she made that really clear. Oh, no, she didn't then. We were just going to have this summer love, and then she was going to leave for Europe with her sister and her brother-in-law. And this other guy who was her ex-boyfriend. Well, ex. Okay, so anyway, so she left with them, and then she got to Wyoming and said, that uh, she was high on acid and she decided she wanted to spend the rest of her life with Gordy. So she, she came back. She got, a, she got a ride with a trucker and had to fight him off all the way back. And then she walked from the freeway to my house, which is like half a mile, and came in like three in the morning. You know, now she said, I've decided to spend my life with you. Well, I hadn't made the same decision. <laughs> but in the course of, you know, a summer, and she, you know, she wanted to get married and have kids and all this. Of course, in the summer, I did fall in love with her. And she wanted me to give her my horse. And I figured, oh. well, we're going to spend our lives together, so uh, no problem, you know. So I gave her my horse verbally, you know. Anyway, so at the end of the summer, she left me for a guy with really good drugs. Oh. And... I and 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 she lived in a in a shed in his stables. He was married, so she couldn't live in his house, you know, with his wife. And so she lived in a shed in his stables, you know. And, and anyway, she took my horse, right? Because I I had given it to her, and I I kept my word. And I had to find another horse. And you know, I really didn't know much about choosing a horse. And I I bought this horse. This guy wanted to sell me. Uh, I considered him my best friend at the time, and he was a salesman. Looking back, I, I think he would have sold his grandmother for the right price. But anyway, <laughs> it's horse, 
from him. And he said, one thing you never have to worry about is this horse going lame. She's never even offered to take a lame step. So I go, wow, because Rebel had gone lame once from a, from a, um, it was kind of like a, uh, like a horse could get a blister in their hoof. It was kind of one of those deals. And, it, you know, it just grew out and he was fine. So, you know, I thought, oh, wow, here's a horse that'll never go lame. So I wrote, I wrote it even more careless, you know, more daringly than I'd ridden Rebel. And, uh. It turned out, well, so the horse went lame the week before the race in 73. And I was coming up the, the Roby Point Hill, and there was Drusilla Barner, Wendell's secretary. You know, basically, you know, she spoke for Wendell. If she said something, that was for Wendell, too. But anyway, she gave me the advice of getting the horse shod by a professional. I'd shod it myself. And she said, and, and if... Uh, you know, if, if that's not it, if it isn't the shoeing, then the horse is going to go lame again next week. And that's not the end of the world, though. And I just, I, I felt like the, my world was ending. You know, this was the most important thing in my life. And I had a lame horse. So, anyway, she, she just said, well, Wendell and I have been wondering when you're going to leave the horse behind and do it on foot. Because in 1973, in May, I had run a 50-mile suicide, just for fun. And I finished in nine hours. So, you know, they, they made the comment, her and Wendell made the comment that I should be able to finish the 118. Of course, you know, that isn't the way it worked. You know, the temperature was perfect in May, and it was in Big Basin, Redwood State Park. So anyway... Uh, I had the invitation, and the horse went lame, and I, I liked the horse, so I didn't get rid of her. She was still a good 50-mile horse, just couldn't make 100, and so I had to run it the next year, and that's the story. That's how I, the, ra the way I got the lame horse was my girlfriend <laughs> took my good horse and yeah. left, left me for a guy with good drugs. So if it weren't for your girlfriend doing that horrible D2, um, We'd be talking about 50 miles right now, most likely, right? Well, I mean, do you I, I think the sport would have progressed to 100 miles, or would it have taken an extra decade? You know, the funny thing about the 50s is... And we... Gordy, can you speak into your mic a little bit more? Someone's, like, rustling a papers or something. Yeah. No? Not me. Okay. Not me. So, so the, funny, the funny thing about about the 50s is the only 50 that survived the JFK stuff was the JFK 50 which is basically uh, it isn't like a trail you know it's just an unpaved really wide road along a canal it's absolutely flat and it has eight uh, 15 miles of trail on the Appalachian Trail eight of which is paved so there's only five miles of trail. It's generally worn by a marathon kind of guy. Yeah. And the people who run. So, you know, there's a question. Would would 50-mile trail running have evolved from that? I don't. I kind of. I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, one, what I will say is that 100-mile runs and such, you know, ultra marathons, they've been around since the 1870s. And they never went off of roads and tracks in all 100 years. And then, you know, yeah. within uh, 
within five years of the well, no, it was more than that. I guess it was uh, by by the time '83 had rolled around. Uh, so that was like nine years. You know, we had we had a whole bunch. We had uh, three or four hundred mile runs and fifties cropping up all over the place. So the, the Western states really started all that. Um, yeah. So I don't. I don't. It seems like it would have happened eventually, but you know the funny thing is it hadn't happened in a hundred years. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but anyway, it's I, I'm just really happy that so many people thought it was a neat thing. You know, there, yeah. the, the whole the whole the whole crew out there. You know, in the old days, everybody was kind of like Doug and I. Uh, you know, oddballs. Sorry, Doug. <laughs> That's a compliment, though. Everyone is the oddball. It's an ultra runner. Well, good, odd, it's, good oddball. It's, it's who, normal who people can be, are boring. Yeah, who can be the most oddball of us oddballs, right? Well, the the funny thing is, the the average ultra runner is becoming more and more normal. And, True. I mean, we used to have we used to have some really oddballs. I mean, we had this one guy we called the gnome. His good buddy was we called him Mad Dog. You know, and he. At the at the Cow Mountain, which was like the big event. Oh, that was the second, that was the first 50 mile trail run in the world. I started that. Uh, Carol Ranta, the race director of the, of the horse ride, invited me to put on a 50 mile run with it. <laughs> the aid stations were kitchen trash cans with, uh, you know, some kind of electrolyte drink, sports drink. I forget what it was. It was, I think it was one. Runner's World was selling at the time. But anyway. Um, Wasn't it Gluconate or something? Well, no, that was that was oh. bear. But they, Runner's World had a co- competitive drink that they put out. And they gave it to me for free, so that's what I used. It had it had less, Gluconate or, or ERG was actually glucose. And mm. the, the thing about glucose that's so special is, It'll absorb into your bloodstream anywhere from the inside of your lips all the way to your anus. I mean, it really goes in quick. Oh, man. How do you Some, know all this, Gordy? Yes. Yeah, oh. so, sometimes you know, I, it, it moves that quickly, too, right? Trust me, I'm a doctor, Michelle. Yes, doctor, winged god. Right. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah there, there are things, you know... If you want, if you want energy fast, well, there are, there are three things that go into your go into your body from your lips to your anus. It's alcohol, vitamin C, and glucose, and that's it. You know, if you want fast energy, really, really fast, it's got to be either glucose or alcohol. And that's it. Nothing else until it gets to the small intestine. So the absorption rates like just almost immediate. Yeah, yeah. In fact, some of my friends they go to they go to the drugstore and they get these glucose tablets for for diabetics. You know, when they take too much insulin. Yeah. And they pop them when they when they get, uh, you know, when they start getting a little bit uh, ringy. I think I got off the subject. What were we talking about? How it started. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah I it mean, started. it's interesting that I mean it, I think just my personal take and you guys probably have your own opinions on it but 
it could have taken a decade, two decades, maybe even three decades for anyone to be so outlandish to think, let's do 100 miles on a trail. I think the modern equivalent was Candace Burke coming up with the crazy mm. idea of doing 200 miles. I mean, Gordy, what what are your thoughts on 200 miles for a race? I, I, I was in disbelief. I thought, how could somebody think that 100 miles isn't enough? <laughs> <laughs> I was just in disbelief. And then I've got all these friends who've done it, you know, and it just, I, I you know, I, I don't know. I just, and they're, they're trying to get me to do it. And I, you know, it came along when I was a little too old for that stuff. I think, I think I am. I don't know. I think I'm too old for so it. So the, the Gordy in 1975, you'd, you'd be signing up for that, is my guess. You'd be making out, making your way out to Moab somehow. and. You know, the time for me to do that would have been... Uh, 2005. 19, <laughs> no, 1985. Like when I was 35, 36, yeah, I would have done it in a heartbeat. Yeah, it's... Yeah, yeah, and Moab and, and uh, you know, that uh, I probably I probably do that. Uh, That's interesting. Doug or Michelle, do you have do you have questions for Gordy or do you want to discuss Gordy, you, a, a topic? Do you love Western states now as much as you did back then? I think I liked it better back then. <laughs> <laughs> when it was a smaller deal? Yeah, I you know I kind of knew everybody. I mean, the the thing that's the thing that's still neat is that there's still all there's all these other races. You know, it's like the Western States has gotten such, it's gotten so high pressure. You know, it's like mm -hmm. you just you know it's like the chance of a lifetime. You may not get in again in your lifetime, and I think that's kind of sad. I you know one of the things I wish is. Uh, I, w I wish the, you know, the Forest Service would just, you know. Allow more. Like UTMB has like uh, 3,000. Well, you know, if they if they were, no, not that many. I don't think we could do that on the trail. But I think that uh, that if if the Robin, you know, there's a, there's a place, there's a place up at Robinson Flat where you could, you could make room for like 100 cars to park. And uh, and of course the shuttles, but I think I think if the I'd like to see it expanded to 600. You know, yeah. I think trail. Could yeah, be seems like a reasonable number. I mean, what... I mean, even on a single track trail, I think you know because it's basically it's it's double track all the way to the you know first four miles is double track. And you know, there's there's this frustration that people who run in terrain like that like i do you know it's it's really frustrating that you know people who beat me up the hill then when they get in rocks they just kind of stopped they uh, they slow to a crawl yeah right uh, where, where i'm i'm still moving at three miles an hour or four or five you know it's like it's very frustrating to me to have to wait for those people but that was that was me running downhill at run rabbit run it was agonizing mm. Congo line. Yeah. But yeah. so Gordy, what do you think about the qualifiers? Are you still happy with 
what races are deemed a qualifier to gain entry into Western States Lottery? Or do you think that those races need to, I mean, up their qualifying times or, or even modify the courses that they've selected? You know, I, I, think, I don't think they have to go for harder races or anything like that because the people who are coming in, um, a lot of the choir, qualifiers are not at a time of the year when you can do your best time, you know, which is typically, uh, yeah. you know, May to May to September. Yep. You know, kind of, uh, it's, so, you know, some, some people will say, oh, well, you know, Rocky Raccoon's too easy or Javelina's too easy, you know, and, and the Javelina people, they put on their website, this is not an easy race, you know, because you look at it, it's 5,000 feet of climb. Yeah. That, that race will kill you, you know, yep. it's it's a tough race. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, no, I, I think it's fine. You know, the, the only one, the only one that I think, you know, to me is like a little questionable is, is that one that, um, I'm trying to think of her name, the, the lady who just set the, the female trail 100 record. Camille Heron. Yeah, Camille Heron. Uh, so she set she set that on a tunnel, uh, rail, rail tunnel hill, I think. Yeah, and I think it's basically kind of like uh, a railroad track, and and doesn't have much climb. Am I right? Yeah, it's. I I believe it's one of the flattest hundred miles. It's still a hundred miles. It's not a hundred k, but. Yeah, yeah, it's a hundred miles, but. There's no there's no footwork required, you know. It, it isn't really a trail. I, I don't know. It, that's, it's kind of, that's valid. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing, you know. So the question is, well, is that is that one too easy, you know? And of course, we're you know we're always going to get into this thing about you know where do you draw the line on a trail, you know? Um, last year I did a, a run which I I'm going to go back and do it again. It was just amazingly beautiful and. Uh, but it was basically flat, you know. It's Brazos Bend 100. I, I loved it, you know. I just loved it. Uh, it's a 16 and a half mile loop. Uh, well, double loop course. You kind of do one loop and then you do another and you come back and you come back and you've done 16 and a half miles and you have to do uh, six of them. But um, you know, it's alligator country and you you get to yeah. see some alligators and. <laughs> You know, and and uh, I mean, they've had alligators drive their cameramen away. <laughs> you know, so that has so to count for something, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, know, it's, it's, it, you know, it has its difficulties. Like when, uh, you know, there's one section where the 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 mud it wouldn't let go of your feet. You know, you you every time you every time you pick up your foot, you'd have to do it against resistance because it would it would be like a suction cup. It's kind of amazing mud. But yeah, so it had it had it had its problems, but it's basically flat. But you know, it's definitely a trail run. You know, it's definitely trails. It's it's all around all of these. Uh, well, they took a the, the state of Texas took a, a swamp southwest of Houston, the Brazos Bend Delta, and they made all of these lakes, which, you know, you think you'd look at them and say, God, what a waterfall paradise. There isn't a single waterfall there. That the alligators ate them all. <laughs> so, I was I was just gonna ask, um, like within your your thought process for adding almost 
doubling the capacity of Western states, uh, runners. Is there one aspect of changing the course that could handle twice the number of runners? Like, what's the constraint there? And then want to well, shift gears a little bit here. You know, one of, one of the things I've said is, why don't we stay out of the wilderness area? But it turns out, I talked to a, a guy who does a lot of archery hunting for deer and bear up in that area, and he said, no, he says, you, you can't go... You can't go across to the north side of the ridge because, first of all, the snow will never melt. And I'm thinking, well, we've run over the snow before, and that is true. But he said there's also these rocky, rocky outcroppings that you just you just can't get around. You know, I mean, you can hunt around them, but you can't get across them with any kind of any kind of speed. So, I think the answer is, you know, and I, I've toyed with this, and I keep getting too busy, but you know the. Uh, the uh, the guy who represents the the uh, the congressman who represents my area and and you know the western states is a Republican, and I think if I went to him and said, look, you know these these friggin' preservationists in the Forest Service, you know, they're like keeping us down to 369, and this thing needs 600, you know, can you do yeah. something about that? And I think he might do something about it. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because there's like. Like I'm, I'm totally. I don't know. There, there's a certain amazing aspect of getting into that race and working. Probably, it's probably going to take me five to seven years to actually get into the race, even though I've done a handful of qualifiers. Th- this year alone, I hope to do four or five qualifiers. Um, and I know they've they've switched it to just, you know, like I get my single ticket for my year of, of gaining a, a qualifier. Um, but at the same time, it's like, man, if it's reasonably possible to add, you know, even if it's 10 slots or 20 slots, like to give those 20 people the opportunity of a lifetime, um, it only seems like it's going to become more difficult over time to to get to run that race so i'll tell you i i think um i think the western states people wouldn't mind raising it up to 600 they just don't want to they just don't want to um don't want to raise any ruffles with the the forest service you know they want to keep a good working relation that's my sense of it and so you know it'll it'll take some uh kind of lone wolf guy like me to do it i guess you know i just i just need to kind of get off my ass up but you know it's like i've got a I've got a septic system that just failed, you know, the, the leech line clogged. I didn't realize I had to, you know, we went for, when we bought the place 26 years ago, we haven't had a, a septic tank pump since, since then. And probably the people before us, you know, it's probably on oh, 30 man. years without a pump and you can't do that. It fills up the sludge. Well, it, it sludged my, my leach fields. You know, I got all this digging to do. I got all this money to spend and I got all these crises, you know, and it's like, Getting around to talking to my congressman, like, oh yeah, God. <laughs> I mean, my wife is looking at me like, why aren't you out there digging? <laughs> Gordy, we have to open you up like a Patreon page or a like GoFundMe page because we want you at every race out yeah. there. Like, <laughs> Gordy. You know, what I need, what I need is I need. 
some airline that does a lot of local, you know, like Southwest would be classic. If they would just give me a free ride. Yeah. The big, you know, that great because, sponsorship. Like, you know, it's like there's so many places in the United States where where I could go and my presence would really bring a lot more attention to trail running. It, it's well, inspiring. Like well, I, Gordy, I dropped off 50 gels for you at Havelina. I don't know if you remember that, but well, that um, was you. <laughs> yeah, that was me. Uh, okay. Like hammers sent me out. They knew I was the, the only guy with a stockpile of hammer <laughs> gels yeah. <laughs> south of them. So, uh, but yeah, you bring a, a, a really great level of just inspiration like to the sport and having you at events it's unbelievable it was it was great like getting to meet you in person but then also seeing you out at Havelina during the race and you were just crushing it i mean i know you weren't having the greatest day for Havelina but yeah getting to meet you is just it was super inspirational and yeah it's just something to think about so Totally. I ran a hell of a race. I ran a hell of a race for someone who, who who'd had flu a couple weeks before. <laughs> it got hot. I want to say it was over hundred degrees at one point. Oh, I, I don't know. I, that that isn't what messed me up. What messed me up was I didn't. I you know I need I need a f- minimum forty mile training run about three weeks before the race. Yeah. And and I just got I got that. I got my calendar confused. And I ran a 50K four weeks before the race. So I was going to run this 50-miler in the Oakland Hills called the Fire Trails, or now they got a new name for it. And then I found that I found out at the end of the 50K it was one week away, and I had simply counted my weeks wrong. And I figured, okay, I'll do my long run two weeks before the race. Well, four days before I was supposed to do my two weeks, Prior to the race, you know, 50 mile or 40 mile or something like that. I came down with flu, you know. Mm. And it's like I got over pretty quick, you know, about a nine days. Yeah. You, you, you seem like at least you've gotten it somewhat together. So that's, yeah. that's impressive. I didn't know that yeah, that I was the eight, case. I made 80 miles and I was still within the cutoff pretty well, you know. But I just yeah. – I had – I had nothing left, you know, I just, I, because I didn't have that, I didn't have the long run for a base. I, I need to go 40 miles at least to be able to run 100, and I, you know, my longest run was, uh, well, all I was able to do, and I did it nine days before the race was a 50K, you know, and, and I mean, I took it easy, and but I needed to do 40 miles two or three weeks before the race, three weeks preferably, and yeah, it was like, it really sucked, and then, you know, I wasn't able to train for the the 100 mile in Brazos Bend because I dressed in the dark at Javelina and I didn't I wasn't aware I hadn't put a sock on my right foot. And I oh, found that oh. I was wondering why I was hurting so much, you know, just rubbing raw. And so finally I, I took off my, you know, uh, I kind of used some um, vet wrap for a gaiter. Well, I took that off and I saw I didn't have a sock and then I knew what was going on. And I was able to wrap it, but I'd done so much damage to it that I, I basically couldn't train for three weeks, you know. And then I show up at this, um, you know, 100-miler, and basically I haven't done a long run in five weeks, you know, since the, since Javelina. 
you know, and again, I, you know, it's like the long, the long run uh, capacity lasts about four weeks. It doesn't last five weeks. You know, best is three weeks. Three weeks is really good. So, you know, it's like all these things go wrong. And, and, you know, in the old days when I was younger, it didn't didn't matter. I just push harder and I'd I'd still do it. But now anything goes wrong and I, you know, I'm, I don't do it. It's, you know, it just goes with the terrain. Hey, you know, the way I, I, I just remember my old friend Ross Walter, you know, he, Tulsa Ross, he was uh, this guy from Tulsa, Oklahoma. He'd been all over the world and he was a, he was a uh, periodontal dentist and loved to travel, 100 mile runner. You know, he, uh, one of the few people at, at age 70 who's finished the 100 miler, but it was, you know, back before it was the current course so it doesn't count but anyway yeah he finished the western states and uh he quit because he couldn't do vermont anymore you know at 75 he just quit running i said you know you, you need to go back to 50s you know and 50ks and no, i wouldn't do it so you know he came he came down with um he came down with parkinson's disease about a, a year after he quit running and i i figured oh you know that must have something to do with trail running because it came so quickly after that and so i looked it up on on pubmed you know our national institutes of health website and found out that yeah uh strenuous exercise retards the growth of uh, the progression of parkinson's and so does exposure to sun interesting (laughs) wow i told told him you you know you got to get exercise you got to get sun and then i i found all these things that you know enhance it like uh you know uh people who uh people who um drink alcohol uh excuse me wine and beer not not hard liquor they get less and people who um people who smoke get less so i told them you don't have to start smoking but get some nicotine patches and people who get uh you know their house fumigated they get more so i told them stay away from all insecticides and pesticides all that stuff so he did that and it you know and it just stopped progressing for it got better and stopped progressing for 10 years, but then he went into, you know, uh, he went into assisted living where they, you know, where they were spraying for cockroaches and putting dairy. Oh, dairy is really bad for Parkinson's people, too. So anyway, he, uh, I just remember what he said, one of my last phone calls, he said, you know, he knew he was going to die pretty soon. He was like 90. And he said, that's been a great life. I just want to go back and do it all over again. Oh. and so you know it's like i kind of feel that way you know it's like yeah we all get our slice in time and i mean who am i to complain oh my god what a life so i just i just wanted to keep going you know and and yeah it's kind of sad to me you know it's like i think you know i think probably i'm gonna have to give up the western states i just i mean when you know i i'll probably give it one more try. I don't know if I, I haven't qualified yet. You know, I have. Yeah. I'm, I'm going back to Umstead, going to try to qualify. Um, but you know, Umstead's a fairly easy hundred, and you know, Western States is a really hard one, and it's it's getting a little ridiculous. So I think I'm going to have to give that up, and you know, it's, it's kind of like I really I'm really enjoying 50ks. <laughs> <laughs> How old are you now, Gordy? And when's your birthday? What month? I'm 70, and on June 4th, I'll be 71. Yeah. Wow. June 4th. You know, but the, the, go ahead, Dad. What's so amazing is 
how long I've been doing this, you know, and most of the people that I ran with, they aren't running anymore. You know, they, they had to quit. When, when did you start running Gordy? Like when's the first memory of going out and just running? Oh, it was when I, uh, walked out on the, I, it's hard to say which one was first. There were two episodes. One, one was when I, one was when I, I missed the bus for the third time. And I just <laughs> had the heart to tell my, my mom, who had just come home from a night at the hospital, uh, that she had to take me to work or take me to school instead of getting, you know, getting to bed, which she really wanted to do. And so I, I knew, I, you know, from riding the bus, I knew it, it took a really long way around. It had to go about three times as far as I had to go and then stop and pick up kids. And so I, I thought maybe I could beat it. And so I just took off running and I ran to school. Uh, wow. Nevada City had really steep hill, so I couldn't, I couldn't run up the hill to the school because, you know, I had no training. But I did run, I did run all the way down and I, to the base of that hill and, and as I was trudging up that hill, I saw the bus go up on the, an adjacent street. And, and I was like three minutes late. And, you know, the, the, the teacher said, why are you late? And I said, I missed the bus and I ran to school. And, you know, she knew where I lived. So she, she was just astounded. And I never got punished for that. <laughs> Whoa. And I never heard that story. Another time, another time I was, I was, um, I walked out on the playground, and you know, I got raised uh, not not just Seventh Day Adventist, but we. My mom, I got raised by a mother and grandmother who were extremely religious, and they were. They eventually left the Seventh Day Adventist religion because it was too worldly, <laughs> and they were they were they were trying to make us as different as possible. And I walked out on the on the you know on the playfield to eat a bag, you know, we, we always were given a bag lunch because my mom said the food in the cafeteria wasn't fit to eat. And I thought she was foolish, but I found out now that's true. <laughs> you know, <laughs> after I became a doctor, I found out how true it was. So, uh, and I'd always look for someone to eat with. And I, I just felt like I didn't belong anywhere. And I had this panic set in. And so I just, I just dropped my, my bag lunch and I ran home, you know, and my grandma was there. And she was like, she treated me like this homecoming hero and made me lunch and sent me off to school. And I was late that time, too. And and the teacher says, why are you late? I said, oh, I ran home for lunch. <laughs> so she didn't punish me that time either. She was... <laughs> <laughs> Your teachers were impressed, apparently. Yeah. yeah so, and then I, then I got a, uh, I got a paper route that ended up. I mean, when I really started running regularly, I got a paper out that ended up two miles from home, and it was way up on this hill, one of the ridges, tall ridges around Nevada City. And it was like two miles, mostly downhill. And the deal was that I had taken to walking. I, I, I just abandoned my bicycle because the bicycles were so heavy, and they were just so hard to push up the steep hills in Nevada City. It was just easier to walk. But then, you know, I get up on Wet Hill on the far end, you know, two miles up and way above. And, I mean, I got so bored walking two miles home. I mean, it just took forever. 
And so I started running. And that was that was really when I started running regularly. And that's when I found out that running didn't hurt. You know, a lot of people a lot mm-hmm. of people figure that out. <laughs> I remember I was I was in uh, junior high in ninth grade at Nevada Union Elementary. This was the just before we moved to um, moved out into the country. My mom my mom decided that she wanted to live near her work and she wanted me out in the country because I was I was getting bored and I was getting into trouble because I was you know I was looking for excitement and I, I was getting in trouble. So anyway, uh, she moved me out to the country. She basically did that for me. But uh, that that one year at this big high school, I had I had a an ex marine, you know, complete with marine and still pumped iron, you know, who was my PE teacher, and his favorite thing to do, his punishment. If you didn't do the calisthenics, if you weren't doing push-ups hard enough, you wouldn't laugh. And so here I was struggling. I hate push-ups. And, you know, I one day I said, hey, wait a minute. I'd rather be running than doing this. <laughs> and so I quit doing the push-ups. You know, I, I kind of I kind of flaked off. And, and, you know, and he goes, Ainsley, take a lap. I go, oh yeah, oh, I'm sorry, sir. And I made sure I, I had, whenever he could see my face, I wore a pained expression so he'd feel like he was hurting me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Gordy, what's what's All your? Thought it was punishment. You know, it was painful. I I gotta ask you. So, what's your your fondest memory of running? And then, what's what's your favorite section of the Western States Trail? to run like where what section do you hit where you're like you know you even go into flow like you just enjoy it and it feels effortless going downhill into the canyons <laughs> <laughs> I, I especially love the first one the first one the, from from last chance down to the swinging bridge i love that love that section the, the next one on um, going into El Dorado Creek for after Devil's Thumb, that can be really, it can, it can tear you apart because it's so hot. That's, that's, one, that's, one, that's one downhill that I don't, I've learned not to hurry because if I hurry, if I try to make up time, I can do it, but then I've got nothing left for when the, for uh, it, yeah. yeah, for the next hill going into Mission of Love. So, In- you know. The other, the other, the other part I really like is that, that kind of lateral trail below Auburn Lake trails. Basically, from uh, after Green Gate, you go through, you go downhill and through some canyons and uh, little, little small creek canyons. You come up and then you hit this level trail. It's about, oh, I don't know, two and a half miles into Auburn Lake trails, and then you got five miles into Browns Ravine. Well, that, that seven and a half or eight miles, I really like that section of the trail. I really like it. You know. One of the things that's so neat is the the animals are are they make a lot of noise at night. If you you know if you run if you run by yourself and there's not a whole lot of people, especially in the early years, you know when there wasn't you know we didn't have 369 people out there. Uh, <laughs> it's it was a different world because you'd hear all these night animals you know sounding off. It was kind of like those old jungle movies. Now they don't do it so much because there's so 
What, what's the craziest uh, animal encounter you've had out there? And I, I'm opening this up to uh, Doug and Michelle. I want to hear yeah. like craziest animal encounters that you guys have all had. I mean, I've encountered mountain lion. I've seen bears. So a mountain lion for you, Michelle? Oh, multiple mountain lions, yeah. And they just run away, I'm assuming? Yeah, it, yep. <laughs> they run away. Only in training runs, right, Michelle? Right. Yeah, yeah. They're not during races. No, they stay away in races. Yeah, but no. during during training runs, you know, my my most extravagant mountain lion experience, actually, I never saw the lion. I was, uh, I was uh, clearing some trail uh, down in the North Fork American River Canyon with some, some friends and they all quit at noon. Well, four of them quit at noon and so we had, there were six of us and one guy worked with me until about two and then I was working alone and I, I just got uh, really, uh, I, I crawled, I wanted to see where the trail eventually went. We were working on it, clearing an old road and I, so I crawled through to the other side and I came back and I, as I, I started, you know, sawing off the brush again, you know, the, to get, I figured I might as well start from the up, uphill side, and I got so I got so weirded out, you know, so fearful. It just grew on me and grew on me and grew on me, and I finally I just I just crawled frantically to the other side, and uh, and then uh, I started running, you know, running back to the car, that back into the creek canyon, and then up to my car. And, Did you and, just sense something was there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I turned around because I felt really stupid, and so I started cutting brush again, you know, working uphill, and, and there was this owl hooting across the canyon, and, you know, the the old story about, I heard the owl call my name, you know, because it's, it's a death thing, you know, it's a death thing. Ooh. And, uh, and I thought, oh, Gordy, quit being so superstitious, and I, I was really hard on myself and said, you know, you're just being ridiculous. And then the, the owl you know, unbeknownst to me, flew across the canyon and it landed in a tree right in front of me on the trail. And it started hooting at me and I just freaked out. I, I ran all the way down to the creek and I ran up the hill and <laughs> to my car. I came back the next week. Yeah, I was the I was the leader of the trails construction uh, for this for the Meadow Vista Trails Association. I came back the next week to a different area and I persuaded my friend Kim to give me one hour. Just, I said, I can't go back there alone. I can't explain why. It's just too scary. And, uh, you know, I didn't know what it was. Uh, so anyway, he came back and he said, okay, I'll give me give you one hour. And so we're in there and, and you know, he's, he's like saying, hey, you know, it took us 15 minutes to get here. So you only got a half hour because I'm going to take 15 minutes to leave. And so I'm cutting like mad. I'm just frantically on my hands and knees, you know, just cutting these bushes. He's throwing them. And I hear him say, well, Gordy, I think I figured out what, what upset you last week. <laughs> and I go, oh. What? And he says, look at this. So I walk back to where he was in this little clearing in the brush. Here, here's all these um, um, what do you call it? You know, bowel movements from an animal, right? And they're about an inch and a half in diameter and they're about, you know, four to six inches long and maybe seven inches long, and, and he says, huh, well, too big to be a coyote, and he's kind of grinning, and I kind of, <laughs> I'm grinning back at him, I go, yeah, well, yeah, and too small to be a bear, <laughs> he says, 
And look at all that deer hair in there. <laughs> oh man. Oh. I was I was working through a through a mountain lion's latrine, and he was probably up on the hill. And you know, it's like mountain lions; they uh, they don't they don't. They don't And I, I don't edit. That's going to make the final cut right there. Cool. <laughs> what was that? Okay. Uh, probably my phone started ringing. I just killed it. Okay. okay. Anyway. Uh, Sorry. Anyway, what, what the story is, is that, you know, everybody who's attacked by a mountain lion, they get a second chance because the mountain lion does not know how to attack a vertical spine. They don't know where to bite the neck. And oh, so, weird. Yeah, so all of these people like Barbara Schoner, you know. Yes, uh, yes. I talked to the tracker who tracked that line down, and he said, you know, she made a mistake. Uh, the, the, the lion came off the bank above her, and both of them went down the hill, and they fell apart, and she stood up, and she ran. And the mountain lion knocked her down, and then he knew where to bite. But as long as you stay upright, they don't know where the neck is. They don't know where to bite. So here I was. I was on my hands and knees, you know, sawing this, this brush, you know, in the position where my body kind of looked like a deer. And, you know, that mountain lion had to be just right up that bank checking me out, trying to decide if he was going to kill me. <laughs> Jeez. So that, yeah. was, that was my closest call. I've, I've also... Uh, I've also, uh, you know, it's all training runs, you know, and I, two of the mountain lions I've seen, one in the Columbia Gorge, one right across the canyon from Auburn, uh, they were like silent movies. That's usually what you see. And then there was one, there was one mama lion, I could tell she was pregnant, and she was in the canyon, halfway down the canyon, just below Auburn, I was going through a trail, and she was down in a blackberry bog, and there was a, there was a, um, uh, a vulture on a limb overlooking that so obviously she had a kill and the vulture was just waiting and, and you know and she she got panicked and she took out of there just going through the the blackberries and i i just said no don't you don't have to run you know yeah i just you know she's going to be picking blackberries out of her paws forever you know but yeah so you know i guess i've seen uh one two three four five, five well four or five uh five five including the one i didn't see you know, that probably was my, my, uh, the most dangerous encounter I've ever had with a mountain lion was that one I didn't see. Yeah, that yeah. was amazing. I God, mean, I'm, I'm in the same boat with the most dangerous was the one I didn't see. That's um, freaky. On, yeah, I was on mountain lion trail. I think it was in, uh, it was, it was here locally in Colorado and first time out on the trails went solo cause I didn't know what I was doing and. I was in the snow and, and circling around, and I got all mixed up and went the wrong way. Tripped, looked up, and I'm looking into a cave that was, like, almost hidden. Just like, what am I doing? And so I somehow just picked myself up and kept moving and came home, checked out YouTube, you know, Mountain Lion Trail at that park, and... uh there's definitely like tons of videos of mountain lions just devouring deer there. So, oh, yeah, I was I was pretty lucky that hopefully it was I don't know 
I don't know if they hibernate. I assume they don't, but yeah, yeah it was. No. Yeah. They go wherever the deer is. Yeah, I I once. Uh, oh yeah. Or or dumb trail runner like me, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Barbara Schoner would probably be alive today if she'd faced that mountain lion. I, I did that once. I had a mountain lion come down a steep hill, bounding down. I was running along a, a, a you know an area a water ditch, uh, not a not a not a big one, but a small water ditch, and. And it, uh, you know, I turned around in time to see it, it land and freeze. Wow! And I didn't really know what it was. It was behind a screen of small mountains and eaters, and we, I, I kind of looked at it, like trying to figure out what it was for maybe three minutes, and then it seemed like it was too big to be a coyote. It was the color of a coyote, though. And then it turned like it was going to go away, and then changed its mind, and it turned back, and its face was like framed in an opening in the in the leaves, and and so for like. Maybe another three minutes. I was just, I was just transfixed, just awestruck, just looking into these unblinking green eyes, and this, it just went on and on and on. And I, you know, I didn't run, I didn't do anything. I didn't, I just looked. I was just so amazed with the experience, just, you know, just awestruck. And then a, a squirrel that was up in the tree above the mountain lion started scolding the mountain lion, and, and it charged down the tree at the lion, and the lion ran away. <laughs> the squirrel? Wow. Saved, saved by a squirrel. Saved by a squirrel. Yeah, I've been, <laughs> I've been saved by an owl and saved by a squirrel. All, all of nature is trying to protect you, Gordy. I guess. <laughs> Doug, what's, oh, what, I was gonna tell what's you the craziest one... story you've had? Oh, encounter never even seen a mountain lion. But Michelle sounds like four or five times her first time when she was what a young teenager, bicycling down the trail, Aliso Creek there, Aliso Woods. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And there was one right on the trail, about fifty feet in front of her. And she didn't. She was. She didn't know what to do, so she just kept coasting down the hill, and then it just jumped and went down the hill. And she thought nothing yeah. of it. And then later in the week in the register paper, this couple spotted a mountain lion from two blocks away. And it made the news in the paper like it was a big deal. <laughs> and here was this little kid going, oh, that's interesting. Kept Just kept biking. And one time she was running uh, Laguna Coast Wilderness and then into Elisa Woods. And the helicopter says, get out. Oh, came yeah. flying over her. Yeah, go I ahead. Tell your that. story. Yeah, tell your story. Oh, that was so long ago. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I remember just hauling ass as fast as possible, which is probably not the right thing to do. But they were, like, on the megaphone just, like, saying, get out of the park, mountain lion. And I think, after all, it was a bobcat. How, how many snakes have you come across, Gordy? Like, so many you can't even count them? Well, you know, I used... I used to pretty much kill every rattlesnake I came to, and I I don't do that anymore because I I was friends with Stuart Gleeman, and he told me how much worse the water moccasins are, and I I become kind of a more of a fan of rattlesnakes because usually I've never known one to attack a person. You know, sometimes they come at a person because the person happens to be downhill and they're trying to get away, but I've never known one to attack a person. I have I have known them to be defiant, you know, like, hell no, I ain't going to move for you, and rattle, 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 and, you know. But, you know, what I do now is I just take a stick and I just harass them until they, they realize that I really am the boss. 
<laughs> you know, and they. But uh, you know, I can remember um, one time I was running, I was running from from Roby Point to back on the trail to the river crossing, and as I came up out of the river, and I was you know on my way to Green Gate, I heard this hiss, and I looked around. And there was a snake. It was so big, it looked fake. It, wow. didn't, it didn't look like a real snake. It, it was like, I, I don't know. How, it was like, I don't know, three or four inches thick. It was, uh, you know. Um, anyway, I, I thought, you know, and it was, it, was, it was obviously used to everything fleeing from it. You know, it was like. It was like, you know, it's like a, one of those Mongol warriors that nobody dares come up with, you know. <laughs> nobody, nobody challenges a snake, and I thought, i got to get rid of that snake. And I picked up a rock, and I, and I, I went at it. You know, sometimes it's, it's like, I can't throw her shit, you know. It's like, I never, I never was good enough for baseball. But sometimes, you know, you just, you just have this moment when everything clicks <laughs> And you're you're like one with the rock, <laughs> and, and so I started I started approaching the snake, kind of a you know, cross between a walk and a kind of you know, it's like a a stalking walk run, and at at some point it realized, oh shit, I'm in trouble, and it started to head out, and I launched that rock, and I exactly hit its head, oh, from like. Uh, 20 feet away I have no idea I mean I can't throw that you know I can't throw it but I knew I was going to hit it I just knew I was I mean it killed it instantly um, the snake the snake came up to my chin that's how big it was it was like over 5 feet long and it was like I said it was, it was a big around it looked like some fake toy I've never ever seen a snake that big. Yeah, I've I've seen one in Colorado um, that was decent size, and I saw a couple going for a walk in front of me, and I'm running up behind them, and I saw the wife like scurry to the far left, and I just thought like, what the heck is she doing? And then I keep running up there, and then. I, I quickly figured out like she wasn't like just doing some weird like left to right walking movement that um she got kind of freaked out by a, a large snake also. Where was that? That was that was actually like where I typically run like very oh, normally there's yeah in uh, southern Denver so. I've seen snakes at javelina and tarantulas. I haven't seen tarantulas. That I think I might scream if I see a tarantula. Yeah, you're not a fan of spiders. I'm not. I'm not. You know, one of the one of the neatest things that I, I ever did. <laughs> uh, one time, one time, uh, Michelle didn't run. What was it? Uh, you didn't. You didn't run. What was it? The final day of the. Oh, the yeah. The but, Western States training camp. Yeah, you didn't run. But we should we we should record, Rob. Are we recording? Of course. Oh, yeah. sweet. So, yeah, well, there was two times. One one time, one time I, I went off with with you and this guy Squirrel, and I felt I I said you know I'm so <laughs> I'm so old and slow. Well, what happened was I was old and slow, 
for about the first mile or two, uh, I guess maybe mile and a half, and then I, I started getting, I don't know, I started getting faster and faster. I think I kind of ran squirrel into the ground. <laughs> yep, 100-mile squirrel. He's the race director of the Tahoe Rim 100-mile. Oh, wow. He's done UTMB. He's done Fat Dog 120. He's like, no, I remember that. I have pictures from that run. You were killing it, Gordy. You I'm were trying to teach me how to run uphill like a badass. Like like back in the day, you were telling me all your secrets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? That was a hard run. What what are some of the secrets of that you would have shared with uh, Michelle there? Like, how do you how do you run up a hill at Western States? Like, what are your what are kind of like your handful of of tricks that you figured out over the years, Gordy? Well, what what I, I the the one thing that I really improved on Michelle's running is her downhill. You know, mm-hmm. where where she where, where, when we go downhill over a you know kind of a treacherous trail. Yep. She would kind of go side to side, and I just said, "Don't do that." You know, that's just a natural reaction. But you'll you'll be a lot more efficient, and you'll go faster if you just go straight, just as if it was like uh, easy. You know, mm-hmm. even though it's hard, just act like it's easy, and you'll go faster. So that that's about the only thing you know that I I can you know. There, there isn't much wrong with Michelle's running. <laughs> yeah, but it's so fun pacing you, and you have a different way of doing things. Like, you drink different things, and you, you stop in the creeks, and, like, you're drinking your special concoctions and yeah. you know, eating. The problem with my special concoctions is they're, they're based on grape juice. And it's concentrate, you know, that stuff, the frozen stuff, but still you have to carry it, you know, and it's heavy. Right. I, I wish they made grape juice powder. But I Ooh. Know. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd I'd like that. You know the, Go ahead. I was gonna say, do you remember what you told me about the poison oak and how to like not get poison oak? Yeah, well you have to eat it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Well that's you know I, I'm I'm really oral, you know. I I studied psychology when I was in college for a while. I was going to be a counselor, and then so I, I studied all these college things, and you know, uh, in in psychology, and and so I, I know all about you know Freud and all that. He's kind of historical, and a lot of people kind of poo-pooing, but it's it's so interesting because down at UC Santa Barbara when I was going to school there, there were actually some professors, uh, two of them, who were proving Freud's theories, <laughs> you know. So anyway, I'm a really oral person, and I, I tend to, you know, lick my wounds, and I put my fingers in my mouth, you know, it's like, you know, I, I tend to catch probably a lot of colds because I, you know, that's not very sanitary, but what, what happened was, you know, when, when, I'd, when I'd get poison oak, I'd lick my wounds, and I, I quit getting poison oak. Oh. Yeah, so, and then I found out that that it's it was you know the reason the Indians didn't get poison oak, and the miners did, was because the Indians would eat a little of it, and they would it would make them immune. Their body would quit paying attention because it turns out you know we have we have sensors in our in our mouth and our throat that tell us that tell the immune system not to react to things we swallow. They say no, that's not poison, that's food. You know, that kind of thing. So. You know, it's, it's the kind of thing you can build up gradually. 
and I, you know, whenever, whenever I start getting poison oak again, you know, which I do sometimes, and I'll start coming down with it again. I just have to go out and eat a little, and then I'm okay. Gordy, I gotta. That, that's I, brave. That is, that's super brave, and um, I don't know if that's doctor recommended, but that's really fascinating. That that seems to work for certain people. Um, I have to ask you, Green Gate and Tracen has made it um, sort of a, a known issue that she wants to paint Green Gate green again. <laughs> what? And and there there's some some serious um, you know people trying to develop plans to make that happen. Um, I've just heard rumors. I'm not involved. What what are your thoughts on that, Cordy? Oh, I, I I think I was pretty I was pretty upset when it turned silver, you know. And I and I, the other thing is, all the other gates there. I mean, aren't the other gates the state park gates green? I think they are. So how did that one get silver? I never I never felt strong enough to go back there and paint it though. But I yeah. thought, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't look nearly as good as the green did. <laughs> That's interesting and. I mean, sort of along those same lines, like Scott Jurek and Ann Trayson. I mean, are, are there any other ultra runners that you kind of associate with the race that somehow developed, you know, over time? Um, you know, since your horse went lame that one day. Uh, well, I... I think basically, you know, when you when you look at the people who are the ones that stand out in the race, there are there are two that are, you know, amazing, which is Andres and Scott Jurek. That, you know, I mean, Scott quit doing it because he just kind of got bored with it, you know. Here, yeah. yeah. mm. he wanted to do something else. Yeah, you know, I don't know, how, I don't know how many times he could have won it. Uh, Gordy, what, what do you think of Jim Wamsley running Western States? And, you know, Michelle and Doug, I'd love to hear your thoughts also. Because um, he is one of the world's best runners right now. Coconino Cowboy. And he keeps going out for, um, you know, course records at Western States. And, you know, who better to ask their opinion than um, Gordy to get it started here? Well, I think one of the things that, that is just almost unforgivable is that he was well, first of all, I think he needs to he need, he just needs to get his ego a little more in hand and and go for a win when he isn't gonna bust a record. Yeah, you get, know, get one think, under under his belt. Get his belt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. The thing, the thing is that you know, but he did. He, you know, he had it taken away from him because uh, when he when he did that, when he missed the turn up to up to um, Highway 49, you know, he's going along the river road. They call it the Quarry Trail Road, and you know, and he missed that turn, and you know, and and Gunhill missed it too. So it's like, you know, it's it's a problem, you know, and. For that to happen twice, I think Gunhild had happened first, and then they obviously didn't sufficiently correct it. You know, and I was to the point where after Walmsley, 
took the wrong turn. I was going to say, I mean, do I have to go out there and mark it? I'm a good trail marker. I could mark it so he wouldn't miss it. <laughs> yeah. But that was really sad. That was really sad. But, you know, I just I just wonder, you know, what he did what he did on that really bad year. Was that was that last year? It was yeah. so bad. I guess it was, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. You know, I I worry. I I wonder if he damaged his body because just what he put himself through. It seems to me I haven't heard of him doing that well since then. Am I right? He did great at UTMB. Yeah. Yeah. He did. Came in third, right? Fifth. No, Tollefson was third. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fifth. Yeah. You know, and it's like the best runner in the world doesn't do that. You know, I just, I just think, you know, I did the same thing one time, and when I, the year I was turning forty. I was uh, training really hard, and I was trying to prove I was still all the man I'd always been, you know, and I was, uh, you know, I had a, I was carrying on with a very active social life, let's say. I I, I had, I don't know, I had, <laughs> Here we go. I had a few girl. I had a few girlfriends, and I was, I was uh, doing rehearsals for a play, I was in the odd couple, so I was staying up late at night, I was smoking a cigar, and and uh, you know, I get sick, and I'd, I'd, uh, as soon as I got over that infection, I'd go back into hard training, instead of you know, just realizing I'd, you know, I'd overdone it, you know, and I needed to back off. Well, what happened was, about the third time I did that, the the virus got into my heart, and. You know, ever since then, I've had chronic fatigue, you know, and I can't push like I used to. I mean, I used to be able to take almost all kinds of things. But, you know, I, I just think that uh, Walmsley reminds me of myself at that point, you know, where I, I just I just thought, I thought my body could take anything. And it can't, you know, and I think he's going to find that out, too. So, I, I, I think he, he may have pushed himself over the edge. So you, you think, think Western still, states can can break a person long term if if you're not careful just because of how intense the heat gets and you know the technicality and vertical well, and every every other aspect of the let's, race let's not forget how in, how intense people make it in their mind you know people are willing to almost kill themselves for western states right and it's not if there really isn't anything comparable to that maybe maybe utmb is i don't know but it's like other races just aren't that important. Yeah. So you know, people people put too much too much importance for their you know. There's only so much the body can take. I, that's my point. And you know, and we can all we can all push past the limit. It's, you know, it's important. I mean, most of the people out there in the world they don't come anywhere near their limit. But ultra runners are really different. You know, it's like. I pushed actually past my limit, you know, and, and I've paid for it ever since. I, you know, I can't, that was the end of being absolutely assured every year that I would run under 24. You know, that was the end of that. When I did you do that, to, Gordy? I was, I was 40. It was the year I was 40. Okay. It was, it was 19, 1987. And oh, did you boy. do that at, at Western States or was that during a training run? It was in the training, yeah. I was unable to run that year. I, I was just, uh, I don't know, something, uh, you know, it's like when I try to pile on the pile on the, the mileage and intensity, I just start getting chest pains, you know, like I was getting, uh, I don't think it was a heart attack, but I think it was, you know, that I, ever since then I have, 
you know, when I when I get run down, my heart gets weak. So I have to. That didn't used to be the way it was, and it's just because I, you know, I ignored my body. You know, I said, "Oh, I can take it." Well, you know, we're we're a, we're a separate breed. You know, we we can push ourselves beyond the point where our bodies can take it because yeah. we've trained ourselves. Yeah, totally it's, true. It's a real different thing, you know. So I, should, I just you should have paid I attention think, more to. Uh, Clint Eastwood's Dirty Harry character, a man has got to know his limitations. <laughs> you know, I've never, this is terrible, I've never seen Dirty Harry. I need to do that. <laughs> yeah, just relax as you get older. You're only 70 now. Wait. <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. So I, I have to hear, what's the best... I want to hear from from Doug and Gordy. Like, what's your best story of running together at Trans Rockies? Like, what's oh. the one story that just sticks out in your head? Uh, well, we had a lot of fun with the "You've Been Geezered" cards. Yeah. And there was actually one day. Oh, where was that? Oh, Nova Guides to Red Cliff, where we beat. 23 of the 95 teams and got to hand out a lot of cards. Uh, that was unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable for us geezers. Yeah, yeah. And we well, did yeah, a lot of was... fun. 2012, we finished oh, from uh, Leadville to Nova Guides. Yeah. And we had kind of fun group running together. So we all had we were all holding on to like poles or to Gordy as we finished. Do you remember that, Gordy? You you were towing like five people across the finish oh, line. Oh, that's right. That was hilarious. Yes. Yeah. And then we, yeah. and then we and then as soon as we got there, we went and had our beer. <laughs> that was that was the most watered down beer I've ever tasted in my life. That must have been about like one and a half percent alcohol or something like that. <laughs> It was they, free, don't complain. They, they luckily have a new beer sponsor. I think Sufferfest Beer is going to be there this year. Uh, so they, uh. they brought in the big guns. They must have heard that complaint oh, yeah. or something. Gordy, what's your yeah, biggest that, that, takeaway, biggest memory from Trans Rockies running with Doug? Zero memories, I can tell. <laughs> oh, You know, it's hard to hard to pick out any one, but, that, yeah, towing... towing well, was it five people or four people I was towing in? <laughs> yeah. That was, oh, I that remember was another, funny. Here, here's another classic story. I was, uh, we're running along. We, we yeah. just picked him up as we went along and said, hey, yeah. you know, grab hold. Grab hold yeah. of a ski pole. Yeah. Let's go. But there, there was another story because I was uh, complaining a little bit because I ran a few years with Steve Harvey, and I kept hearing the same stories. And Gordy says, Doug, if I ever start telling you the same story just tell me to shut up because i got 800 different stories <laughs> always has a good comment and i do what what are your guys favorite beers what's what does <laughs> what does gordy ainsley have in his fridge right now in the beer category god you know that this is it's almost embarrassing my favorite beer is now it's it's a beer that's made all over the United States, and I'm only speaking of the beer, the version I buy from a brewery in California. Okay, but it's Rolling Rock. I also like Pabst a lot too. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I know, oh. I know. It's like 
I'm I'm not into high hops and and. You know, <laughs> Doug, That's what's what's your beer choice, Michelle? Oh. I know I know Michelle doesn't drink. I don't drink. Starbucks is your yeah. preferred. Correct. Uh, I have. There's some of these places that have. You know, if you had a wall with a list of 150 beers on it and you threw a dart, I would like it. What does that awesome. tell you? About oh, he likes everything. That means I'm buying. I'm buying. Next round, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I did not. I've never seen that brand. And then on your, uh, I guess it was Tommy River interview, uh, you mentioned it's available in California. So I got to try this stuff. Oh, they have great, great distribution in California. I'll try to maybe try to hook you up there. Um, I like so, to try different stuff all the time. Yeah, it's it's really good. Yeah, I'll go. It's to, really I'll go, good. I'll go down um, the total line. So randomly to throw this out there. Gordy's Ultra Sign-Up, if you haven't, if the listener hasn't checked that out, that's worth a Google search. Um, and and shifting gears into, what what is your favorite running-related book or endurance-related book of the three of you guys? Fit at 75 by Doug Melowicki. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to update it. I don't know. 79 oh, coming up? Next week coming up, <laughs> yes. I got to definitely do it better at 80. Yeah. Well, okay, so for me, I, I don't read books about running. I just run. You know, I'm not. But I did I did read that, that one about uh, by McDougal. Yeah, born to run. run. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Born to run. I did read that, and I and I liked it. I thought it was a pretty good book. Uh, I also read, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, you know, the Ultra Marathon. Dean Carnazzi. Dean Carnazzi is wonderful yeah, book. Dean. Okay. Yeah, it, it worked I, that way. I read it. I read it before I started running, and uh, I promised myself if I was ever able to run that I'd try to run a hundred miles just because of that book and i wouldn't i don't even know if i would have started running if it weren't for that book so that that truly inspired me um Good job yeah yeah it's crazy i mean i i think i would have probably been the marathoner who never even knew there was a distance beyond uh, a marathon you know so gordy i want to ask you a question what advice do you have for someone who is just starting ultra running, maybe has a 50K under their belt? What would you recommend for them if they're thinking about a 100-miler, maybe trying to eventually run Western States? What kind of advice would you have for someone like that? Um, I think the main thing is work up gradually, you know, what I tell people is, you know, you start from your base, whatever it is, you know. So um, the first year that I ran, I did something that I don't advise people to do. I ran I ran a marathon that first year. You know, I, I started running in maybe late January, and in May I ran a marathon. Um, you know, I think that's not a really smart thing to do. I, I suggest people to, you know, run up to half marathon the first year. Go to marathon the second year, go to 50 miles the third year, and go to 100 miles the fourth year. Just take it easy on the body. I did do that. You know, I, I after the marathon, then the next year I ran a 50, and then the next year I ran the 100. So I, I did do that right. 
but I yeah. I think I went up a little fast the first year. Yeah, same here. Looking back, it was probably a little silly to try to squeeze in so many different 50 milers and 50 How fast K's. did you go up? I ran my first marathon in April, and then I ran my first 50K in May, and my first 50 miler in June. Oh my! <laughs> so, compadres with Michelle. Is that what you did, Michelle? No, I no? I took some time. No, but I'm saying, remember from uh, a half marathon trail to doing LA two weeks, and you never even did a half marathon distance. <laughs> Two weeks later, you're doing a marathon. Well, pe- people have a tendency to jump up. Like, I know some people that have done, like, a 24-hour race for their first ultra. Yeah, I've heard of Whoa, that. Whoa, that's a lot of walking, I would hope. I don't know. I went from okay. from basically going to be put on Lipitor probably yeah. May or June of the previous year. So, I just, I'm very thankful to have found the sport and... A community like this where, you know, the the four of us can all just, we could spend all night talking ultra running. Like, it's just such a special yeah. community. And I just, I can't tell Gordy thank you enough for, you know, just gritting it out, you know, like toughing it out and helping pave the way for such a, a crazy sport that's helped me so much in so many different ways, so just really appreciate you taking the time and and Doug and Michelle I appreciate you guys taking the time as always and you have any last thoughts or last questions or well you know it's like the I've only read two running books one was Dean Carnassus and the other one was, uh, <laughs> Born to Run uh, Born to Run yeah and I love Born to Run and then you know and I thought God what a great book and what a great story and all that and then I talked to people who were part of that, and they said that McDougal was historically inaccurate. <laughs> they were all. They were all. They said it didn't. It didn't. It didn't happen that way. That isn't the way it happened. So I guess you know one of the things I'd like to say is you know tell a story like it is. You know tell tell what really happened. But it was a great story, you know, and it inspired so many people and. You know, I, I I totally take my hat off to Dean Carnassus for for inspiring so many people, but you know, I just like him to be more historically accurate. Yeah, that's and I, I guess I can say the same thing about McDougal. You know, so I don't know. It's like, um, um, you know, my my wife is she's hassling me. She says, Cordy, everybody's writing the book except for you, you know, and you've got all these things you could write about. Just <laughs> yeah, where's the, where's the so, Gordy book? Where's the I, Michelle yeah, book? Yes. Where's the wing God book? I'd, I'd buy both of those. <laughs> well, it's, 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 uh, you know, the, I, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I need to, I need to get, I actually did start it the other night, and you know I worked until two in the morning on the story about the owl that saved me from the from the uh, mountain lion. But then I was worthless for about three days afterwards because at my age, you know, when I lose sleep, it, it really sets me back. It doesn't work mm-hmm. well anymore. I, I I can remember when it was so much fun to stay up all night, and it isn't fun anymore. You know, I, I have to get. Sometimes I go to bed at like eight. You know. 
Gordy, you should get someone this, uh, just just dictate the whole story. Oh yeah, ghostwriters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, you know, I had a guy who said he wanted to do that, and I got in touch with him, and he. Yeah, I think I think I think I need to do it myself. What I probably need to do is I I need to get one of those things I talk into, and and it just puts up the puts up the script. Yeah. That's that's well, probably what you would do with a ghostwriter, and then he would. You know, make it all into the beautiful prose and correct English, but tell the story that you've dictated. That'd be the easy way to get something like that done. I can, I can do that. I can, I can do all my corrections. My wife wants to do it too. She says That's... I can, I can put it together. So. Oh, what yeah, you but... wrote? What you're a good writer. What you wrote about Henda's book that she wrote was beautiful. I'm gonna, I'm gonna write her and tell her she's the Don Quixote of romance, or, or <laughs> alter. Ultra run, ultra running romance, you know, because she's, you know, she's like the constant searcher for that for that perfect man, and you know, there ain't no perfect man. <laughs> or she she would think she would say that she doesn't she doesn't look for a, a perfect perfect man. She just wants somebody who I forget what it was, some acknowledge her or something like that. But, so, Gordy, I don't in know, I, I think in in a hundred yeah. years from now, how do you want people to look back? On on what you've created. And, Good question. I mean, because you've truly created something special. How do you want people to look back, like a hundred years from now, two hundred years from now, kind of like the hundred year mark? That hundred number seems to work well with your case. Oh, I think I'd like them to think of me as the Eli Whitney. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. You know, everybody thinks of Eli Whitney that you're cotton gin. Eli Whitney, he got a he got a um, a contract from the federal government to make up a bunch of uh, guns. You know, this is back before there was repeating. You know, they were percussion rifles or something like that. And he came up with the idea of interchangeable parts. Can you imagine <laughs> interchangeable parts? Nobody thought of that before. So yeah, I'll be I'll be Eli Whitney. <laughs> Gordy, I want to pace Nobody you thought. one more time at States. Oh God, <laughs> you probably should pace me at something else. I don't think I can finish States anymore. We can try. I, I, you know that makes me really <laughs> sad. You know, it's like this is this is my race. It I is your race. Can't, can't do it anymore. I don't think I can do it anymore. But but you, hey, look, didn't you get? The... If I qualify at Umstead, and I feel good Friday, then I'll race. And mm -hmm. you probably ought to get on the course real early because I might not last. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, but you're allowed to have a pacer from mile one. <laughs> well, I, I could probably get away with that. Uh, yeah. I, they, I think they took that rule out. Oh, no. But, yeah, I think they, it used to be if you're over 60, you could have a pacer the whole way, but yeah, um, you know, I just think that, you know, I changed the direction of the running world. Thank you, know, you. Just like Eli That's Whitney. It. Simple you know, as Eli that. Whitney, Eli Whitney invented, you know, interchangeable parts. Henry Ford invented the the assembly line, you know. All of that made everything so much more available and so it made people's lives so much nicer, you know, and I think that's that's what that's what I did. I made people's lives a lot nicer. You know, it's like the only person I know who, well, 
you know, and I respect him greatly too, is uh, Frank Mazanich. He he still he still says he enjoys running roads more than trails. <laughs> wow. Well, he you know he was fifty mile champion I think a couple of years. He's in the yeah he's in the ultra running hall of fame too yeah. He works at it. The few times uh, been at Shadow of the Giants, he finishes, and he look he works so hard. He works so hard even even at his age. Yeah, I worry about his heart. Can he blow it up? Well, we yeah. we're there when he finishes because we start an hour too early. But he's pushing it. That's one of the few races where I, I wasn't granted a comp entry. Oh, oh, that's another fun race. Yeah, the night before I go hide a beer right across oh, the man. other side of the bridge, and I finish oh. with a beer in my hand. I've done that how many years out of my seven years of doing Shadow. That's fun. Yeah. If you're a race director and you're charging Gordy Ainsley Gordy. an entry fee, like, come on. Come on. <laughs> Seriously? But, Is that bad? Does that bad? So he's retired. So you, yeah, you you got to oh, find somebody who's doing else. It now? I don't know. Molly down here has taken over his western states, and one of the local guys up there, somewhere near Fish Camp or whatever. Well, if he retired, I'll I'll ask him. I'll ask him for a comp entry. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, they should boy. pay Maybe you to be there. I I agree. So, yeah, we need a Southwest what, contract too for you. Yeah, yeah. I, what do you? Are you? I was going to ask you a question, Gordy. I'll bet you still can do 20 miles a day easy and enjoy it. Yes or no? I think I could do it if I take an anti-inflammatories the whole time. Like for Trans Rockies? Trans Rockies again? You want to do it again? Well, I was, maybe Trans Selkirks. I did that last summer. Maybe we, I haven't done Trans Rockies in three or four years. Maybe we should set that up. I'll talk to Aaron. We'll get a comp entry or something. So... Is that that's after Western States, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's August. August, yeah. Okay, well, August is a good time. Yeah. Late August. Yeah. Late August. Yeah. I got to be back by Labor Day anyway. It's perfect training for the uh, Mount Baldy run to the top. <laughs> and it's Canada. You can't beat Canada. I'm trying to get everyone to go there. Oh, it's gorgeous. What yeah, do you mean, Canada? Trans Selkirks. They Look, they finally the cool races. Yeah, they finally started one in Canada. Aaron McConnell and uh, the gang. Oh, same same people. It's yes. the Trans Rockies of Canada, Gordy. It's pretty cool, beautiful. Oh, when is it? The August? end of August. I think it's before Trans Rockies. Yeah. No, it's. So after. you're thinking of do you're thinking of doing that, or you're thinking of doing Trans Rockies? Which one? Uh, either. Let's see what we could work out. Rob's going to be a Trans well, Rockies. You know, <laughs> my thought is we've done Trans Rockies twice. You know, let's do something new. That's yeah, awesome. uh, and yeah, it's away from teams, but they still have teams. Yeah. yeah All right, we'll talk about it on the side. It, it looks like an amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. experience, regardless of which one you choose. But can I tell you how amazing it is that you guys are? I mean, Gordy, are you seventy now? Is that right? I'm 70, and, and Doug is 78, is it? 78 going to 79 here. Like, For another week, then I'll be 79. Oh. Like, I, <laughs> the longevity aspect of everything you guys are doing is just, like, phenomenal. Like, I can only dream oh, Doug's to a, be... Doug's a late starter. <laughs> he hasn't had a chance to get out of his yeah. body yet. Yes, I didn't start till I was 58, baby. 
And then I didn't do, do an ultra till I was 65. That's Michelle, my, I my, my, Michelle influenced me. My biggest goal now is to get another 100 miler done because uh, as of the last 100 miler when I, that I finished, which was, uh, I guess it was Rocky Raccoon, maybe two years ago. Yeah, two years ago. Uh, I, I had the longest 100 mile running career, but there was somebody who was three years behind me. <laughs> I want to. I want to get gotta back. Got to keep going. You got to keep going. I want, yeah, I want to be. I want to be back to three years ahead of that guy, whoever he is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want him to catch me. I want to. I want to have the longest hundred mile running career in running. <laughs> well, trail running. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate I appreciate you guys taking the time tonight. We've we've talked for almost a few hours and just. <laughs> It's it's been really special. I I can't thank you guys enough. Gordy, next finish line I see you at. I I now know it's a Rolling Rock. You know, like Sufferfest beer is not going to be happy about this, but that's okay. I want to get you a beer that you like. And uh, kind of like loose loose drool too. Okay, you got well, it. Was... It'll probably be at Havelina this year or next year, or whenever. So, but but Rolling Rock is. Yeah, it's my favorite. That's that's your go-to. <laughs> awesome. And Michelle, thank you as always. Doug, we're gonna have a thank you big interview coming up here on your birthday, and and just really appreciate <laughs> it. And I have so much respect for all you guys. 